Hello, and before we get started with this week's episode of Rising as One Podcast, we'd like to thank our partners, Firebird Rising, the Beautiful Game Network, and Oro Brewing Company. You can check out Firebird Rising on the web at firebirdrising.corair, that's K-O-R-R-A-I-R.com, the Beautiful Game Network at bgn.fm, and Oro Brewing Company is located in downtown Mesa, so if you're out in the East Valley, go check them out, and remember to use the code word RISING after any Phoenix Rising win for happy hour pricing. We would also like to thank our listeners for the continued support. If you enjoy this podcast, please do us a favor and leave us some feedback on iTunes or drop us a line on Twitter at RisingPod. Let's get to the show. Welcome to this week's episode of Rising is One Podcast. My name is Matt Trainer, and I'm joined here by Jeff Went and Dominic Kearns. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. How about yourself, Matt? Well, doing better if we had three points, but we picked up one, so... Yeah, my teams didn't do too hot either. I mean, two red cards last night, and then a, I'm a Newcastle supporter, just like Jose Bosch. So another red card that changes the outcome of that match, although I can't really complain about it too much because the guy stepped on another guy's hand or at, on his ankle so yeah it's been that kind of a weekend oh wow well uh yeah we have a lot to talk about this week um phoenix rising made some roster changes there were some photos leaked of a potential stadium design uh, some usl expansion news but first uh let's get into that matchup against the uh, rgv toros boys traveled down to texas this week and picked up a point on the road um in a match that had some controversial calls on both sides um jeff why don't you tell us about this match yeah, let's get let's get into things for this week. Uh, some interesting roster changes this week um, that we will discuss in greater detail uh, once we finish the, the the recap. But obviously, the biggest glowing change is Didier Drogba not in the starting lineup, replaced by Jason Johnson on the top. Uh, we saw Jordan Gibbons again on the back on the right for Cody Wakasa. Uh, we saw the same back four as we saw uh, the week before in L.A. Uh, got to see uh you know some some different movement but you know it was okay i mean i i was fine with the way the lineup was set was, you know maybe drogba needed a rest at this time maybe patrice carteron knew something about the referees that we didn't know about and obviously with drogba on four yellows uh him picking up a fifth would obviously have suspended him for a game so maybe that was weighing in the back of carteron's mind as well but but all in all, you know, the changes worked out pretty good. And while for the most part of the first half, you know, San, uh, RGV had a, had a great majority of the possession uh, to hold, they really didn't do a whole lot with their possession in the first half. I mean, you, you look at the times that, that uh, Phoenix Rising uh, did things in the first half, you know, while they were short, they were consistent, important bursts. I mean, you start right off the bat in the sixth minute. Sean Wright Phillips with a beautiful corner right to Blair Gavin's feet. And if not for Angel, Ango, Angoita being in the right spot at the right time, that's a one nothing lead for Phoenix Rising. Makes a great save, and obviously Gavin gets a second shot on goal, which gets cleared off the line and out for a corner. But great to see Blair Gavin get some early chances right off the bat. 
Then in the 12th minute, A.J. Gray, another insertion into the lineup this week. And it look, actually looked pretty good, I thought, playing on the playing on the right-hand side. I mean, he he really held his position well, made some good runs forward. He made a good run forward in the 12th, uh, and his shot was saved by Anguida. Uh, a nice shot there. Uh, first real little bit of pressure from RGV came in the 19th uh, from uh, Jose Escalante. He got in there, but Waz was able to clear clear out the danger. Uh, in the 24th minute, RGV's Garcia had a header on on net that went over the top. So you, you know, you're seeing play kind of play out a little bit, kind of give and take on both sides. Uh, then you see Gibbons get a yellow in the 31st. You see Gavin pick up a yellow in the 34th. And at that point, you kind of start seeing the way this general direction of this match is going. And it just... I don't know. You, you want to talk about a referee last night that just seemed like wasn't quite totally into the game and understanding what was going on. I think this was the night and you saw it. And it especially reared its head in the 40th minute. Questionable handball call. I mean, he's not, you know, the, the, the RGV player's not extending his hand. He's not extending, you know, outside of his normal playing body. He turns but that's not extending his that's not extending his play. I'm not going to I'm not going to discredit the fact that hey, we got a penalty in our favor. Let's take it. Great. You know. But if you're going to take it, you know, make sure it's the right call first of all. And I just, you know, I didn't think at, you know, it was marginal at best. Jason Johnson steps up. Now Angoita picks the right direction, but Fortunately, Johnson's got enough power behind it for his fifth goal of the season and gives Phoenix the one nothing lead going into the half. Obviously, the possession numbers reared its ugly head, you know, in the first half. But like we've talked about on podcasts before, it's not necessarily the amount of possession that you have in the first half. It's the quality of those chances off the possession. And Dominic, I don't know if you saw what I saw, but I thought that even though the low numbers that we had possession-wise, we made the best out of every possession that we had. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, you know, you look at the stats in the first half, even though we were under 40% at that point, we had six shots and four on target. And in the first half, RGV only had two and zero on target. Um, it's This game actually reminded me a lot of the Reno match. Uh, a match where our best chance from open play comes in the first 10 minutes because really our best chance from open play was that double save on Blair Gavin off the corner kick. I mean, that was a pretty phenomenal double save uh, for RGV, you know, and Goita making himself big on both of those. But yeah, when we had the ball, we were moving it well. Uh, and RGV just didn't seem like they really had the quality that was necessary to break our defense down and get that goal and then you know we get a gift right before halftime it's nice to be on the receiving end of one of those calls for once um johnson does what he's done all season and comes up big and he's especially been rounding into form the last month i i tell you what every time i see a guy do a short run up like that it always freaks me out you know it always just makes me a little bit more nervous than i would be otherwise but uh, it's kind of like Daniele De Rossi. He does the short run-up, and he always puts it in. I don't know how. I don't know why. 
but it always goes in, and Johnson's two for two from the spot this year. Two huge penalties, too. The other one being the game winner against Los Dos back in May. So it was a decent first half. I kind of figured it might get a little more defensive in the second half, but I don't think any of us were expecting it to go the way it did. So we get into the second half of play, and and obviously RGV uh, found a way to uh, pick up the pace. I mean, it just... It, you could you could tell that at that point Phoenix Rising was kind of trying to sit a little bit behind and hopefully eke out this one nothing lead to a victory that they have. I mean, you could see it right away. Murphy gets a shot outside the 18 within the first 10 minutes of the second half uh, that went over the top. Then you get Sean Wright Phillips picks up a yellow. Then you get what I thought was if they would have held the one nothing win what I thought would have been the key play in, in that in the 66th minute when Stewart came diving across to uh, to stop that that attempt uh, right in front of the six yard box you know amazing that Stewart was able to to recover like that and make that play absolutely you know, and, and recover I mean that would have been textbook the right you know the, the right play of the match you know then you get the introduction of, of Eric Avila for AJ Gray. You get the introduction of, of Luigi Mala coming in for Jordan Gibbons. Now Gibbons looked like he had picked up a cramp, looked like he was getting a little dehydrated maybe, so that was the reason for bringing in Mala, which was good to see. I mean, from what we saw of him, and we'll talk about that in just a minute as well. Um, key save for Carl in the 75th minute on a shot from James uh, right outside the box. Carl made a, a nice diving save on that one. Um, then... I don't know. It's an interesting move, and 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 we can talk about this afterwards, guys. Seeing uh, SWP come off in the 80th for Matt Hurlow, I was a. It was a little interesting move. I mean, I thought Wright Phillips was playing good, and I thought we really needed him in the middle a little bit more than we needed Hurlow. Maybe Patrice was thinking defensive purposes at that point. You know, I you know I don't know what Patrice's thinking was there, but you know we can we can talk about that later as well. Yeah, I think it was just a stamina issue. I don't know if there's even more to talk about other than that. Maybe SWP was starting to cramp up, and they just wanted to save his legs for those last few minutes. But I yeah. I can't really think of any other reasons besides that, because Herlow isn't really a defensive sub. Yeah. So then they get a, you know, then RGV gets another couple of chances. 81st minute, Escalante fires one over the top. Uh, then... Carner gets one shortly thereafter that goes over the top. And you're thinking, can we just hang on for the last 10 minutes? And then obviously everything broke loose. Rigi picks up the yellow in the 84th. And then Amadou Dia in the 86th. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I get that he's on a yellow and I get that. You know, things are playing out the way they are. But my goodness, when you watch Escalante dive like that after that foul and draw the red card on Dia in the 86th, it's just, you're shaking your head going, you got to be kidding me. You know, and it's just, I I know it's a point where you got to be careful and you got to watch what you're doing, but still the referee's got to be a little bit more aware of the situation there and, and has to know what, you know, you 
know what what he's doing there you know and then three minutes later you know mala picks up a red card on a straight red card on him for a challenge which yeah it was a challenge it was a hard challenge but he had no disciplinary coming into that play so how do you go straight red when the guy pops up 10 seconds after getting fouled i mean if he's down on the field for a minute or two I'm understanding that maybe you give him a red card, but when he pops right back up after getting fouled, I mean, come on. That's, you know, that to me is where pro really has to get on the ball and really figure out, you know, how are we training these officials right to, to make these calls? I mean, I, I mean, maybe VAR helps there, but you know, we, we don't know that for sure. You know, <laughs> We obviously saw VAR play an interesting role this weekend in an MLS game, but that's that's another story all in itself. Um, but obviously sets up for the big moment of the match, which, you know, now you're down two men in the 94th minute. Ball gets thrown in. One header. Second header by, by Magal Hayes. You know, Ramage can't quite get over there quick enough, gets it past Waz. It's a 1-1 game, and all of a sudden you've gone from three points to one point. And it's just, you know, it's a shame for the effort that Carl Wazinski put in. It's a shame for the effort that the back line put in as much as they could. But it's the road. It's a point. I guess we'll take it. But obviously we have some bigger issues moving forward. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know where to start here. I guess the first thing would be, you know, the two calls late in the 80s. The first one being that double yellow on Dia, I think that was a yellow card. Um, you know, maybe there's a little bit more dispute about whether the first one should have been a yellow card, but I don't really take too much issue with that. I think, uh, you know, it is a double yellow, and, and that second one definitely deserves the card. Um, now, the ball a challenge, again, no arguing about was it a foul or not, and I don't think you can say that it didn't deserve a card, but I know that refs are supposed to use the letter of the law when making these kinds of decisions. But realistically, refs have to keep control of the game and use pragmatism to guide their decisions. And how this usually plays out in big European league, even in MLS, is Mala gets a yellow card because he just came on as a sub 15 minutes ago. He doesn't have a full feel of the game yet. So you're judging him. You have to judge him a little bit differently than the rest of the players. Also, you just sent off a guy on this team two minutes ago. So there's not really even like a, a thought of like, oh, this is a makeup call. He just sent a guy off. So I'm not even saying that this is necessarily the right thing to do. Although personally, I think that's a yellow card, not a red. Um, but I think usually refs give a yellow in that situation given all the other factors that are going on. The fact that he just sent a guy off. The fact that this was a sub that was playing in his first USL game and has only been on the field for 15 minutes. That's kind of a bad beat because now you're going to wait for the USL disciplinary report and he might get two, three game suspension. And now we're not going to see him start until September potentially. So that would be very unfortunate. Um, And then you go to added time. We kind of talked about this, you know, in lifetime and also off air. They added six minutes, and I have to say, at least two of those minutes 
were because of those late calls at the end of the match. And then they end up getting that equalizing goal in the 95th minute. I was thinking when I was watching the match, there'd be about four minutes, maybe five, and they gave six. And if they had given four, we get out of there with a the win. Um, that's a tough thing, too. Especially because, like Jeff was saying, it kind of ruins the efforts of the defense, the back line. And we did a couple tweets this morning about breaking down that goal for RGV. And, you know, it doesn't take a math wizard to figure out that when you have two defenders that just got sent off less than 10 minutes ago, you're going to have fewer people in the box than your, oppos- than your opponent, especially when they're throwing everyone forward. So they bring a ball into the box, and it's 6v3 within 15 yards of the goal. So at, at first, three guys being unmarked, you know, then someone gets back, but it's still 6-on-4. So Ramage actually won the first header, which is pretty incredible considering he's playing 95 minutes. He's in his mid-30s now. You're playing in basically 100 degrees with humidity, and he still wins the first header, but the ball doesn't quite get out of the box. Um, there were basically two guys that Stewart had to account for, and one of them was kind of like holding him down, screening him off so that the other guy uh, could get the header. And this was also smart. I have to give Wharton credit here, Todd Wharton, because a lot of guys would have tried to shoot that header, just go for goal with it from a pretty bad angle because you're thinking you're trying to be the hero, time's about to run out. He has the vision to see a wide-open guy unmarked in the middle because it's a numbers game and we don't have the numbers to mark everyone. I think Ramage was also thinking that might be a shot towards the back post. He's trying to cover there in case he has to clear the ball off the line. But it was a really good header, and he actually had another guy that he could have headed it to um, running a little bit further back in the 18. So it's just a tough situation. And you you kind of figured that one of those would happen eventually. My friends were like, oh, we got this. I'm like, no, we don't. You can't say that. They have a two-man advantage you know, maybe they'll miss, but they're going to have a good chance. And, you know, credit to them, they put away their chance. So the draw seems like the fair result because our goal is pretty pretty questionable too. I don't think that should have been a penalty. But um, it's just it's just frustrating when you're that close to a win and the ref has that large role in, in denying you the points. But, um I mean, it's a very cliche saying, but it is what it is, and we're still right in the hunt. Yeah, I mean, it uh, it definitely kind of felt like we got one taken away from us, but I do agree with you there that, uh, you know, it, it probably would have ended up in a draw anyways. You know, even if you take out the, the factor of the um, questionable calls from uh, the referee, you know, the uh, penalty kick that we got in the first half, um, the six minutes of stoppage time, the the – numerous amount of I think we had like six yellow cards and two red cards or, or something like that um you know would have been less stoppage time so either way I felt like the way we played last night would have ended in a draw so you know you just take that point move on and uh you know hit the road and see how we can do against Orange County one thing you know I want to touch on too you know we, we talk about the six minutes of stoppage time and when you watch last night I mean a typical you know, second half, if you get in substitutions and everything, you're running, you know, you're, you're normally running a three minute, you know, for getting subs in and out. But to me last night, it seemed like the subs were moving in and out very quickly. So if you're, if you're moving in fairly quickly with all this stuff, 
you know, where does I, I was struggling to find even, you know, even three. I was I, I could have seen two, you know, because everybody was moving in and out quickly. I maybe he gave more time to the Gibbons injury, maybe, and that's maybe why it went up to four. But it just seemed like the flow of getting people in and out last night was a lot quicker than what you see in most normal matches. I don't know what you guys thought, but. Yeah, I mean, what, like two weeks ago we had uh, eight minutes of stoppage time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I guess that's just that's just what we get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I'm, I'm sure there are going to be a couple more nervy moments with these long stoppage times before the season is over. And questionable calls. I don't think we've seen the last of that. No, we haven't. Well, shall we move forward to Orange County then? Yeah, let's get into Orange County, Jeff. Uh, interesting club. Now that they're even on games with us, seven, six, and six, this team is uh, coming off of a one-one draw against Swope Park Rangers uh, on Saturday. An early Carlton Belmar goal got Swope Park Rangers going, but uh, it was a Kobayashi goal uh, early in the second half that was able to get uh, Orange County a point there. But obviously now. Orange County is even on games with us. They're sitting a point ahead of us. So obviously we're, again, we're in this key set of games situation. Uh, It's going to be a huge game. They're opening their new facility, you know. Um, Obviously we were were just there a month ago and, and, you know, brought out the 1-1 result there with a, a late goal from Drogba. Obviously everybody remembers that free kick. But, uh, you know, this is a game that, you know, we should be able to go in there. Now, obviously, we've got issues. We obviously have to figure out the back four first. Where do we start on the left, guys? I mean, I, I think you have to go with Vasquez. I know that that might not sound like nectar for your ears, but he's shown some potential. He's definitely a good attacking threat when given the opportunity. And I know he's had some uneven performances in the back, it's definitely a step down from Dia, but what are you going to do? I mean, he's he was starting for most of the season before Dia came up into our lineup. I Unless you're trying to put Avila back there, but I don't think he's really much of a natural left back. I think you have to go Vasquez. Yeah, I don't think you have uh, many choices there, and uh, I, I would agree with you there with Vasquez. I mean, I, I, I get, the, I get the, the, the choice of Vasquez. I would... L- I, yeah, I, I struggle with Vasquez as many times as he plays back there. To me, he seems like he's more of that that midfield role that loves to run, and I'm afraid if he's going to run too far. But then again, maybe that's the same way with Avila. You know, if you if you stick Avila back there, you're going to have the same you know mentality of I want to go, I want to go, I want to go, and then and then we're going to be left bare in the back. So. You know, maybe Vasquez is the right choice. Obviously, we'll have, you know, Ramage and Stewart in the middle. And, you know, most likely if Gibbons is okay and it's just the cramp that he had, you know, then he'd be okay on the right. I mean, your only other option you're really looking at, I mean, granted, you have, you know, you've got Cody Wakasa there and you have J.J. Greer there as well. But I don't, I, I, I'm not necessarily as big a fan of Greer as I am, as I would be of Wakasa if, if that were the choice. I'd have to go Wakasa over him right now. Yeah, and you know, I think too, uh, having Waka- if you put Wakasa in there, having um, Stewart and Ramage back in the center, I think that uh, kind of helps protect that. If you know, if Wakasa is to make any mistakes. No, I I agree with you there. 
Definitely. I was just going to say, though, um, are we, we're still talking about left backs, right? Or are we talking about right back now? Well, we're, I think we're just talking about the back four in general. Yeah, because I was going to say, what about Jordan Gibbons? I mean, he started for us this week. He seemed to put in a pretty good shift. He came off for cramps around 73rd minute. Uh, but it seems at the very least like he would be able to last for most of the 90 minutes and put in a good shift. I mean, you know, you might need to bring on a sub, and then that gets interesting. I don't know if you want to bring on Wakasa or someone else at that point, but I would probably I would probably go Vasquez at left back and Gibbons at right back. Would you even entertain the option of maybe putting Gibbons on the left and Wakasa on the right? Would that would that even be an intriguing option? Yeah, I think so. I think that's an option. You know, uh, I think Wakasa picked up a lot of criticism so far this season, but uh, you know, in the last few matches that he did play, seemed like he made a little bit of improvement. You know, and, and kind of like I said earlier, if you have Stewart and Ramage in there to kind of help support him, uh, you know, I think you could you could go with that option. It's an option. I'm just a little concerned with uh, with Gibbons because I don't know if he's played left back for us. And if he has, it hasn't been very frequently. That's the only thing that worries me there. Um, but if you want to do a Vasquez Wakasa, a real throwback to our season opener, I could see that. Uh, I mean, there are other things to talk about with this Orange County match too. Orange County might be a team with more question marks than us. They've been on a pretty bad run of form lately. I think two losses and two draws in their last four. But it's been a very uneven last four. Um, you know, they go to San Antonio last Saturday, and they get a late draw over there. And I know that San Antonio, you know, they've had some troubles putting teams away, but that's still a really good draw to get. Uh, and then they come home for Colorado Springs. You're thinking, oh, that should be a good chance to get all three points. And we were talking about um, Orange County getting set to go on this pretty tough stretch of matches we were saying, you know, their more winnable games were the weekday matches and the weekend ones were the tough ones. The matches at San Antonio, at Swope. And I think we had kind of agreed, if you're an Orange County fan, you're hoping your team puts out their best 11 and goes for the win on the weekdays. And then, you know, realistically, give some other guys some chances on the weekends. Well, instead, they get absolutely demolished 4-0 by Colorado Springs. At home, in the first game in their new arena, how does that happen? And and I mean, it was three nil at halftime. I mean, in fairness, two of those Colorado Springs goals were just absolute class. But still, to be demolished four nil, and it honestly could have been worse. Uh, and then they go on the road to Swope, fall behind early, and they come back. So I have no idea what Orange County team is going to show up. Are they going to be a team that gets absolutely blitzed 4-5-0? Maybe. It's happened to them quite a few times this year. Are they going to be a team that is is okay with playing a nil-nil draw like they were against us? Maybe. Are they going to be a team that's capable of uh, you know going toe-to-toe with the Western Conference elites? Sure. Or they could be a team that freaking draws Timbers 2-3-3 and just is willing to score and concede like, like crazy. Like... I have no idea how this match is going to go. All I know is they're not on good form, and this is going to be their sixth match in less than 21 days. So these guys are going to be exhausted. 
there's probably going to be a lot of roster shuffling. I don't know how they're going to do it. Maybe they'll save their better players for us on Friday. But, you know, if I'm Orange County, I mean, I just I just don't know what to expect. Uh, it's a match that we should go in there thinking we have a good chance to win, but we have to be ready for any kind of Orange County effort. All I know for real is that Charlie Leon is a good keeper. That's it. Well, and remember on top of that, too, you've got guys that are coming back off of, off of lengthy suspensions for Orange County, so they've had to... You know, they've had to struggle with that. They had lost Dan Uick for, for quite a few games there and had and had lost uh, uh, Alvarez as well for a, for a number of games. So, I, you know, I think they fought through that, and I think now they're starting to get, uh, you know, those guys back, which will help them. And then obviously moving forward with a, with a tough week ahead of them, you know, we should be able to catch them on their, on, on their back foot. And if we can do that, you know, Three points, move us up the table. That would be huge. Yeah, it'd be nice if we, uh, the Orange County team that showed up on Friday, is the one that will lose nil three, nil four, something like that. Because uh, we definitely need that, uh, especially as we get closer to the end of the season, trying to trying to battle for that spot up in the top half of the table. But uh, so, what are your guys' thoughts on Phoenix Rising as far as goalkeeper for match against Jordan's County? We're uh, we gonna see Cohen, or we're we gonna see Wazen in there again. I mean that's that's a it's becoming a legitimate question, um, you know. Cohen, he might be fired up to play his old team, you know. He had been Orange County's keeper for quite some time, but on the flip side, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it is the old adage, and you know, Wass has been in net for us two matches now, and he had, you know, 185 scoreless minutes before that goal finally went in this week, so. And really, that goal was something that he couldn't do anything about. Although he did make a couple of amazing saves to keep it at 1-0 for us this week. It's a it's a real issue. Um, you know, good on Waz for showing what he's capable of when he had the chance. That's all you can ask of a player. Uh, especially in USL, when your chances can be very limited when you're on a team like ours, which is independent and trying to make playoffs as opposed to maybe a developmental team where they're just going to do goalkeeper by committee. But it, it, it also puts Patrice Carterone in a tough spot. You know, here's Cohen, who's been a rock all season, and now you just bring Waz in, and he just comes in and immediately goes back to his prime Arizona United form. Um, you know, personally... I guess I'd go Waz. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. One other note, though, you'd hope that this is out of his mind. He had a terrible preseason game at Orange County when I was there. I uh, I don't mean to throw people under the bus, but it was uh, it was not his best day. So, I mean, maybe that's an argument for Cohen plus the old like playing your old team factor. But he already got that one out of the system, so. You know, and and the other thing, the other thing we don't know too is 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 Josh hurt, and then maybe that's why, you know, the last the start last week, and you know, hey, you get a clean sheet, let's keep it rolling, you know. But you know, but may, you know, maybe the question is, is Josh hurt? We don't know the answer to that question, and and so you know, we're playing this game of well, you know, is it best to go one way or the other, you know? 
do I like Carl? Of course I do. I mean, we, you know, the last two years, this, you know, this fan base has, has seen Carl and seen what Carl can do. And, you know, obviously now he's got a, I would I would say a more solid defensive front in front of him, you know. So you know why not let's give him the chance and let's see you know what happens. I say give him a run of a couple more games and hey, if you got a decision to make September one to say okay I'm going to stick with you the rest of the year, then great. But also remember too we got that Cascadia trip so maybe he's starting to put plans in motion early. I know I'm going to need both of you guys to play on the, you know, on this upcoming month because that's a busy month. September is, you know, maybe he's just getting them primed and ready to go for that too. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Uh, you know, getting getting Wallace some playing time, get him warmed up. Um, you know, I, I I think we're good with either option. Both have, have shown to do pretty well this uh, this season. You know, with the exception of the preseason match that Dominic mentioned. Um, you know. Was it a strategy to to give Cohen a, another week break before we go into Orange County and then put him in? I don't know, but uh, Cohen has done pretty well this season. You know, if you look at the stats, you, you might kind of get lost in the, in the numbers a little bit. I mean, we had some tough matches, and he did really well, um, especially with the back line the way it was playing it earlier in the season. Um, you know, Waz came in, and the back line seems to be a lot better the past few weeks, so that definitely kind of helps him out. Um, so. You know, it'll be interesting to see which one we go with, uh, you know, if we go with Cohen or Waz next week. But uh, I think either way, I think we're going to be in some good hands there. It's uh, it's one of those things, as with other positions on this team, it's a good problem to have too much depth as opposed to not enough. Yes, that it is. <laughs> um, so, all right. So with that being said, let's get into the USL scores this week. Uh, Jeff, Dominic, let's, uh, let's see what happened this week. Yeah, let's get into the, to uh, week twenty one here in the in the USL. Uh, some definitely some interesting results we'll talk about as we go through. Um, on Tuesday, Rochester beat Harrisburg one nothing. Uh, we kind of touched a little bit on the on the OC result from from Tuesday, the four nothing game. There, it was goals from Burke alone, Malcolm, uh, Catcher, and Freighter that that got Colorado Springs the four the, the three points there. Uh, on Wednesday, it was a 2-2 draw between Toronto and Charlotte. Uh, on Thursday, Tulsa got a big win against an Eastern Conference team that obviously is is huge, you know, for for standings purposes. Getting a 2-1 win over St. Louis uh, it was goals by Calistri and Corrales that that got Tulsa the points. They also gave up an own goal late, which made things interesting, you know, for St. Louis trying to get uh, get involved there to get some points. Um, on Saturday, it was Charleston 1-1 with New York. Uh, Pittsburgh had a 3-0 win over Harrisburg. It was Ottawa 3, Charlotte 1. Orlando beat Richmond 1-0. It was Louisville getting a 5-0 win against FC Cincinnati. That was a, a surprising result in front of a record crowd uh, in Louisville. Uh, games of importance in the West. We talked about the Swope Park OC game already. Uh, Tulsa. Gets a second win of the week, wins the Oklahoma Derby, beating Oklahoma City Energy 2-1. Uh, it was goals by Rivas and Savantison for Tulsa that gave uh, them the three points and obviously moved them up the standings this week, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, it was Salt Lake City 2, Colorado Springs nothing. Obviously, Colorado Springs coming back off of that early week matchup and just not having enough for the Western Conference leaders. It was... Goals by Hoffman and and Morales there that, that gave 
uh, Salt Lake City the points. And then the, the last result on Saturday, which was an interesting result, guys, Reno 2, San Antonio nothing. Reno getting three big points at home with goals from Fernandez and Brown, which really kind of sets Reno now as one of those teams that could be floating towards the top of the table soon. So now you're looking at at teams as in, you know, San Antonio, Salt Lake, Reno, and, and San Antonio are really starting to set themselves apart as the top four. Yeah, and there are maybe two storylines I really want to focus on from this round of matches. The first one that I think is the most important here unbelievable for Tulsa to get six points from two matches in three nights. They had to play St. Louis on Thursday night and they get the win. And two nights later, they have to play again. I don't know who had that brilliant idea to give them two USL matches in three nights. They stuck with the same goalkeeper. They stuck with the same back four because I was curious. I'm like, how did they pull this off? They completely mix up the midfield and the attack, and somehow it worked out. They got all six points from those two matches. And granted, you know, St. Louis and Oklahoma City, they aren't elite teams, to be sure, but I don't care who you're playing. Six points from two matches is amazing, and six points from two matches in three nights is truly superb. So my hat's off to Tulsa. That's my team of the week. The other interesting st- uh, story from this week, you know, with Reno winning 2-0 over San Antonio, the second through fourth spots are now, they're now getting very close. San Antonio is at 41, Soap is at 40, Reno at 36. They're all on 21 matches played. And if there are any ties, Reno's going to have the goal difference advantage over both those teams because they are tied for the league lead in goal difference. They're tied with Monarchs with plus 24. So that's something to keep your eye on. It's pretty incredible and pretty unexpected to see San Antonio give up two. That was the first time they'd allowed two goals in any match all season. I certainly don't think this is a reason for their fans to despair, but it's an eye-opener. And, you know, you turn that back around, how does that matter for Phoenix Rising? we are likely, if we make the playoffs, going to be in the 6, 7, or 8 spot. And so that how it shakes out at the top, that could have some real impact on who we end up playing in that first round match if we make the playoffs, which we're still projected to do based on points per match. Um, so Jeff, I'm going to turn this one back around on you. You know, Let's say we have to play, of those top four teams, Real... San Antonio, Reno, Swope Park. Of those teams, which one would you most want to play in the first round in an away match? If I had to play one of those four in an away match, I think I'd play Reno, to be honest. I think Wow, I think we that's match not up the very, answer I would have given. <laughs> I, I I think we match up I think we match up very well with them, to be honest. I mean you look at the result I mean, think about it. We drew we drew to Swope. We drew to Reno. Yeah, Reno beat us here for nothing. But we were, you got to remember, back in that for nothing game, we were a team that was kind of in flux with, you know, Chance. Chance had just come in. Yallop was on his way out. The team was kind of in flux and not sure what was going on. Team has kind of turned it around since then under Carter Roan. 
you get you know you've seen them you've seen them have a good effort up in Reno. They had a good effort in in Swope. I don't necessarily know that you could go to Swope a second time and get the result that you got for, you got there the last time. I I wouldn't want to play Salt Lake City. I think Salt Lake City is the cream of the crop in the West. I don't I would not want to play them. San Antonio maybe. I mean we've had a couple of good games with San Antonio, but I think if you're looking player to player down the list. I think Reno, to me, is the best option of the four to play. Uh, Matt, where where would you stand on this one? Yeah, I'm going to have to uh, – I'd, I'd say my order would probably be Swope Park, Reno, San Antonio, and Real Monarchs being the last. That would be my preference there. What about yourself? Yeah, you know, I would actually go with you. I think we should play Swope away because if you're going to Reno or you're going to San Antonio – I mean, those are real fortresses. You're going to have to, you know, in the case of Reno, deal with pretty cold weather. Uh, you're going to have to deal with, like, 5,000-plus fans. San Antonio, you're going to have to deal with 8,000 fans. Um, so I don't want to go to a place with a real atmosphere for an away match. I want to go to Swope because they've been playing some great soccer this season, and they've still only been drawing, like, 1,000, 1,500 fans. If there are any uh, Swope fans, consider this a challenge. Get your attendance going, but I, you know, I don't, I don't feel also because they're an MLS development side. I feel like there is, you know, a little bit less emphasis on the USL playoffs. If things go wrong, so be it. And I know that that's not supposed to have any correlation to how it shakes out. Obviously, the guys want to win, but and then you look at our results. We've beaten Swope and we drew Swope, and. We've been able to score goals on them, too, from open play, which is not something I can say about us against San Antonio, which is not something I can say about us versus Reno. So I would say Swope, and then and then probably Reno, because they don't... For some reason, San Antonio's in our heads this year. As a fan, I think it would be entertaining, but I, I would rather play Reno. So Swope, Reno, San Antonio, and Monarchs. I want no part of going... 5,000 feet elevation and it's going to be like 40 degrees in October for that playoff match. I want no part of that. Yeah, another uh, benefit of playing San Antonio later on would be uh, build up a little bit more anticipation for the pepper challenge. (laughs) This is true. (laughs) I'm all about uh, you know, let's build up that anticipation there and uh, really get that going. I'm a man of my word. I'm a man of my word, but remember, it depends on how San Antonio does, not us. <laughs> we can miss the playoffs, but if San Antonio loses first or second round, that's I'm off the hook. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to get into the USL standings for the Western Conference. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit here, but uh, starting off in first place is Real Monarchs with 51 points, San Antonio with 41, Swope Park with 40, Reno in fourth place with 36 points. Uh, fifth place, we have Colorado Springs. There were 33 points. Tulsa Roughnecks is in sixth with 32. Sacramento, they're in seventh place with 31 points. Um, they're on a six-match unbeaten streak. Uh, and then rounding up the top half of the table, Oklahoma has 29 points. Then we get into the bottom half of the table. Orange County, who we're playing next week, we've talked about. They have 27 points with a goal differential of negative one. We're in tenth place with twenty six points and a goal differential of negative five, so those are those are going to be an important three points there for us. Um, rounding off the rest of the table here, eleventh place Rio Grande Valley twenty six points, Seattle Sounders two, 
at 23 points. Uh, they are on a six-match losing streak. Um, then we go 13th place with Los Dos at 19 points. Vancouver Whitecaps, two, with 18 points. And at the very bottom of the table, Timbers, two, with nine points. And there are four games going on on Sunday uh, as before we tape this. So that's Bethlehem, Toronto, Portland, Sacramento, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, and Seattle, Vancouver. Obviously, Seattle would be the interesting uh, match to watch there as far as the standings go. Yep. And now, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the show, there's a lot of Phoenix Rising news. Um, guys, let's talk about it. Well, let's start off with, uh, with Drogba's goal last week, who was nominated for goal of the week. Um, that was pretty awesome. I don't know if you guys had anything to, to add to that. It was awesome. Yep. Can confirm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you can't you can't get any better than that. I mean, it's just the most beautiful kick in the world. I mean, I mean when when it makes Sports Center's top 10, hey, you got nothing else to you got nothing else to say there. <laughs> and it it won goal of the week without much of an argument. I think uh it won with over 50% of the vote and when you're considering there are three other choices, that means it was a landslide. That it was. Um so some other interesting news this week, I believe it was on Thursday, um, Phoenix Rising made some changes to the roster. We uh, picked up a few guys and dropped a few guys. Uh, Jeff, Dominic, what are your guys' thoughts on this, um, on these signings and releases? Well, it was interesting to start the day. Obviously, you know, the news came out early in the morning of the, the acquisition of uh, Sam Hamilton from the Colorado Rapids on loan for the remainder of the season. Uh, you know, first round draft pick, you know, of, of them, uh, not really had much time playing, you know, with, with the first team, you know, it only had three games played, saw a couple of appearances in, uh, open cup play, but, it'll, you know, be a good opportunity for him to come down and get some minutes and, and to be able to have some good time down here with the club, you know, not quite sure what his role will be, you know, we'll have to see how it fits in the weeks upcoming, obviously, in a crowded midfield situation, it's going to be awful tough for him to, to find some real solid minutes. So, you know, we'll see if he ends up being somebody that's going to end up supplanting somebody like a, like a, a, a Tim or a Watson in the holding mid, or does he, does he find himself as a 20 minute sub, you know, coming on for, for somebody like an Avila or a Sean Wright Phillips or a Jason Johnson or an Alessandro Rigi. We'll have to see where it goes from there. And it goes the same for Kevin Lambert as well. You know, when they announced his signing uh, later on in the afternoon, you know, you know, Lambert's, you know, got some real good experience playing in the CONCACAF Gold Cup, playing with Jamaica. Obviously, you know, fans who went to the games here in, in Glendale were able to see him play in the tournament and see see the efforts of him. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he slots in. Obviously, the, the Luigi Mala signing, we we kind of saw the immediate impact that he was thrown right in right away uh, in this, in this match against RGV, you know, on the other hand, you lose some good guys. I mean, obviously, you know, first we'll talk about Mike Seth and, and obviously, you know, he was supposed to be a big signing over the summer, uh, just could not find his footing in the club. Um, obviously, you know, when, when Drogba came in and, and his, his role kind of changed from there and obviously Seth was, was finding it hard to find minutes and not only find minutes, but find, you know, his playing spot on the field. Uh, you know, Brock Granger was released, you know, Brock didn't see any time this year on the field, uh, never was able to crack the starting 11. Um, 
again, another crowded situation where I don't know if it just ended up being, you know, obviously it was a numbers game trying to figure out how many players, you know, you needed on the backside, but, you know, it just maybe if, if his plan was on the right, then, you know, obviously he was on a crowded right-hand side and was probably third choice at best. And, and so I could see that, that one going. The one I really struggled with, obviously dropping, was seeing Uchenna Uzo go. We're, we don't have center backs that are very bruising type backs other than Ramage and Stewart. If we lose one of those two guys, you're going to J.J. Greer, you're going to, you know, maybe maybe Mala slides into the center if that's the case. But it just, you know, we, we obviously saw with the Amadou Dia experiment, we'll call it, you know, that he's not a center back because of his size. He's just not tall enough and, and not muscular enough to be there. So if you have your muscular guys in, in Ramage and Stewart, you have nobody backing them up. And obviously, Uchenna Uzo played that role last year. was a very good player. saw You know, saw one game this year against uh, Oklahoma City. You know, and we all thought in that game that he was one of the best players on the field. Now, I'm not sure what Carterone and what Rick Chance didn't see out of Uchenna that that deserved to keep him around. I obviously floated my comments out there on Twitter earlier this week saying that, you know, I thought if you were going to drop players, you know, obviously Seth was one of the right choices. I thought maybe Romilio Hernandez was, was, would have been a target. Cause obviously I think Romilio is going to find a hard time finding a fit in this roster. And, and now that you've, now that you're going to go down two defenders next week, that obviously puts you in a really bad spot for having backups I mean, you know, so that that was my struggle more or less with losing Uchenna. So uh, I know, Dominic, you talked, you know, extensively on Thursday on Facebook Live about, you know, the guys coming in and the guys coming out. Um, you know, what you know, what kind of thoughts do you have about everything that went down? Yeah, I um I don't want to add too much because, as you mentioned, I had given some thoughts about it. Maybe I can add a couple things now. And one of those things is. You're talking about the loss of Uzo. I think what I think the only way that this makes sense is if the coaching staff has a clear plan to play Mala at center back some. Have him in as a backup, a guy who can do both, who can play right back but who can also slide into center back in case Ramage or Stewart need some cover, they get cramps, they're injured, whatever, suspension. I think they see him as a guy who can do both. And I hope that that's the case because we need some depth at center back. Um, maybe that's actually been their role for him and he had to slide into right back instead because Givens had to come out with cramps and they figure, you know what, let's give him some run. Maybe he's our best option for tonight. But maybe the actual plan is that he does play more center back. I don't know much about his background from Ivory Coast to know what his natural position is. So... That's going to be a really big thing to keep our eyes open for, you know, not this upcoming week, but whenever Mala gets back into the rotation, whenever this, whenever he's, you know, his suspension ends, where is he going to be playing? Is he going to be a right or center back? But I think they must have been thinking we can bring him in to play center back and he's a better version of Uzo. I, 
apparently that's what the, that's their thought process because I'm with you, Jeff. Uzo's a tough piece to lose. Um, but as far as the other guys, Kavon Lambert has to start. And he has to start as soon as possible. Um, this guy is only 20, and he already played in the Gold Cup for Jamaica. He looked good. I was actually t- uh, talking to my friend James Chelminski, who is an avid CONCACAF fan. He really follows the game around this continent. He was actually our guest, I think, a month or two ago. And he said he really liked what Kavan brought to the table in Gold Cup. And he thought by far that was the most impressive of the three new signings. He was of the opinion that Lambert has to start. He is going to make MLS. And, you know, he's kind of amazed that we got him, honestly. I think Jason Johnson must have really worked that connection when the guys were together in Glendale for that for that match. Um, but, I mean, that's going to make it tough for Sam Hamilton, too, who I think is a guy that certainly has starting 11 talent. I just don't know where there's going to be. I, I think the midfield has been pretty interchangeable this year, so it's possible to start both. But then that's going to be a really tough break for guys like Miguel Tim, Avila, and, you know, potentially Rigi. So, um there's a lot going on in the midfield, especially with two new guys coming in. But, you know, I said it before, I'll say it again. The drops and additions show that we're trying to bring more young talent to the table. And every single guy that we brought in is younger than any of the guys that we dropped. I think that's the number one takeaway. We are trying to get young talent to Phoenix. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, listeners, if you haven't had a chance yet check out dominic's uh, feedback um from these roster changes he had on facebook live video this week he had a pretty good pretty good review of these and uh you know i agree with you guys there i, I didn't really understand the the uchenna uzo being let go um i do like seeing these the three new signings we brought in younger signings um uh, maybe you know they can kind of help with our sanima they can play full matches and not get tired i don't know we'll, we'll see how that plays could also be that uh you know there are su- late subs for a while you know so you get like your uh, sean wright phillips he plays you know maybe 60 minutes or something like that and then you bring in these young guys to kind of finish out i don't know we'll see um but you know wish uh, mike seth uzo and granger the best of luck in their future endeavors and i'm sure our paths will cross again um uh, probably see mike seth before any of those so some other news here for phoenix rising is um uh, sam D- door uh, posted on Twitter. Uh, sorry if I said your last name wrong there, Sam. <laughs> Some 2018 season ticket details and dates. Um, so September 2nd, renewals will begin for season ticket holders. Uh, September 16th will be the early bird deadline. Uh, October 1st will be the official launch of the 2018 season tickets. And there will be a select a seat event being held in November. Uh, so we'll keep you up to date if we get any more, uh, any more news on that front, prices or anything like that? So, there was some other news this week. Uh, I found this post on, uh, I believe, it was Twitter or Reddit. Um, there was a rendering of a what appears to be a Phoenix Rising um, stadium design. Um, I believe we retweeted that one, but uh, it was a pretty cool design. I thought it had kind of like a diagonal roof design with a copper kind of looked like copper. It was a really blurry photo, so we don't have a whole lot of details. Uh, it was not an indoor stadium. Did you guys get a chance to see this photo? Uh, I don't know about Jeff. I did. 
I, you know, I don't want to get too much into details about it because we don't even know if that's the official choice that our ownership group has made. But uh, it looked cool. <laughs> like, I literally don't want to talk about anything else because I don't even know if that's the one. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it was an interesting design, I thought, as well. You know, if that truly is the design that they're looking for, obviously, you know, the the, the big talking points that everybody's always talked about, you know, it's interesting that if, if it is the choice to be an outdoor stadium, you know, how do you, uh, you know, how do you, you get it air conditioned or how do you get the field temperature to where it's supposed to be standards wise, you know, um, but but yeah, I mean, obviously everybody's been looking forward to this at, at, at some point to see something like this. And who knows, maybe that's not even the final decision. Maybe that's just step one in the process. You know, we'll just have to see where the team goes from there. Yeah, I thought I remember reading a a tweet a few months ago or a month ago that, uh, you know, they were going to have a bunch of architectural firms provide rendering. So this is probably just one of many versions. So, you know, we'll kind of hang on and before we get into too much detail on the stadium and, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um so in USL, uh, there's some news this week on some expansion teams and extended season this year. Uh, Birmingham for 2019, Las Vegas, and their non-creative team names. Um, what you, what were your guys' thoughts on this USL news? Well, it's great to see, first of all, to see the, that the league is expanding. Obviously, we know at some point, it, and it's not going to happen in 2018 because they've already announced that the two-conference structure is going to stay where it's at you know, when, when 2018 happens, cause it'll be, a, it'll be at 34, it'll be at 34 teams. By the time we get to 2018, there's 33 right now that are set for, for this year. Um, but you know, I think we're going to see a three conference format come 2019. Um, I think, you know, you're going to see, Birmingham maybe slots into that central-ish type of conference maybe where they'll get Charlotte and, and St. Louis and and Louisville and FC Cincinnati and I think you'll see that whole group of clubs there kind of form that central division you know and obviously you know the rumors of whether there's going to be another team possibly in Texas maybe that that becomes that 34th team that's one of the MLS two teams that you know I've, I've heard rumors that FC Dallas may be considering getting a two team eventually. If it's not them, I, I know there are others that are considering two teams, but you know, it'll, it'll, we'll just have to see where it goes. But my God, Vegas, come on, come up with a real name. And let's hope, let's hope somebody has a write in vote that really makes it interesting, you know, so that we can have those fun little six hour trips to head up there and have a little fun on a weekend, uh, you know, to, 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 to have it work. Yeah, just to give uh, the listeners uh, some context here, the suggested names or the options that they're allowing um, fans to vote for are Viva Vegas, Las Vegas Silver, Las Vegas FC, Las Vegas Lights, Las Vegas Action, and Club Vegas. I mean, we kind of talked about it a little bit before the show. I think out of those options, Club Vegas is probably going to be the best one. Um, you know, me personally, I think they kind of missed the mark there. They they could have went with like maybe a Sin City FC or something like that. But you know, I don't know if uh, residents of Vegas like their city being referred to as Sin City. But hey, it is what it is. You know. I mean, they're gonna be they're gonna be playing soccer regardless. So. Yep. And uh, they will be one of our closest. Actually, I think they will be the closest road trip, regardless of whatever they call themselves. 
So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, you know, and uh, they do have this open for suggestions too for fans. So we could possibly see another Footy McFooty face team name bid coming on. So, <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yes, please. <laughs> we would all be in favor of that. So, <laughs> All right, and in other expansion news, there were some uh, NASL expansions uh, announced for the state of California, and our very own Dominic Kearns has a few words to say about that. What do you think, Dominic? Yeah, so it's been talked about for some time that there are going to be teams in San Diego and Orange County. I don't really understand the idea of putting a second team in Orange County when there's already an Orange County soccer club that's going to be the USL affiliate for LAFC. But it got worse, as if it could get worse. They decided to come up with the brilliant name of California United. I don't know about you guys, but California's a pretty big state, and it's pretty tough to unite that state on a lot of things. And I think it's especially difficult to call yourself California United when you're a second division soccer club in a failing league. Uh, I know this is a real hot take here, but I feel like there could have been better names than California United. Um... You know, they're playing in Fullerton, which is North Orange County. Why not just do Fullerton FC? Use the blue and orange color scheme that's very popular for the local Cal State school. Uh, Those are just popular colors for Orange County in general. You still incorporate the orange of the county while having your own identity with a blue. That's also different from both MLS clubs. But no, they go with California United, and it looks like they are not doing... I don't know if they're going to have any orange in their color scheme at all. And, you know, this, it's just, why would you expand in this market? As I said before, San Diego is going to get an ASL team. You have two MLS teams. You have Orange County Soccer Club. You have Los Dos. And now you're going to throw an NASL team in North Orange County. It's too much. People in Orange County are going to go to the Orange County games. Some might go just to see, hey, what's this about? But you're not even giving locals an incentive to go support this team because it's not. you're not putting the city on its crest. You're not saying, oh, it's Fullerton, you know? Um, at least that would give some civic pride. Fullerton's a pretty big city. It's almost 150,000. And you'd probably get surrounding people to come, especially if it's kind of a cool idea. They brand it well. They didn't do it, though. They're going with California United, which any team that's tried to call itself California anything, California Angels, it's either been a disaster or they have to rebrand in a few years. So I definitely see that one coming. But more importantly, there are much better cities to expand into if you're NASL. You could go to Albuquerque. You could go to Boise. You could go to... Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. El Paso would be a great market. You could go to Tucson or, you know, allow FC Tucson to move on up. There are so many cities that would appreciate a team more than Fullerton and North Orange County in a very saturated market. So I know that there are a lot of people in LA as a soccer hotbed, but it just seems like the wrong place. If you're so hellbent on doing something in Southern California... 
put a team in Riverside or San Bernardino, or even if you want to do like north of LA, you know, uh, maybe the Camarillo, like Oxnard Ventura area actually would be a pretty good call. Give the community something it can rally around, something a little more unique, because there's nothing unique about this team. And I can tell you right now, as someone who grew up pretty close to where they're going to be playing, I don't see this team getting 2,000 a match. Unless they do some real, uh, you know, if, unless they make some real changes and try to rebrand, I just don't see this thing taking off. Maybe they get a few thousand, but it, I, I don't see this being a success, and I don't know why NASL thought this would be a good idea. Yeah, and that's even assuming that NASL will be around for a few years because uh, it's just kind of fading away. Well, those are your words, not mine, but I personally, uh, I might have to agree with you there. All right, well, um, so let's get into this. Um, Dominic usually uh, posts some stuff on Twitter, some questions for our fans. Um, you know, starting to get some more posts going on on our Facebook. So if you haven't yet, please check us out on Facebook, our, our uh, Rising Pod Facebook page. Um, posting some good questions, good content there. Uh, Dominic, do you have any uh, Twitter discussions or questions for the fans or anything like that? Yeah, um, not a really big thing, but, you know, this was kind of in the midweek when, you know, right before all the huge player news broke out, we ran a question on our page because I think a lot of USL teams, or especially the bigger USL teams, have had friendlies against a lot of big squads from Europe. And, you know, some of them even get to play other MLS clubs. And unfortunately, we didn't get the joy to do that in the Open Cup like FC Cincinnati has been able to do. Um, so I posted, you know, MLS teams go down to Tucson for preseason every year. Why don't we play a couple of them and host at least one of them at the Phoenix Rising Soccer Complex? And the response was almost unanimous. It was 29 to 1. That That's a great idea. We should absolutely do that. So, you know, maybe something for the ownership group to think about. Maybe something for... Uh, people that are in charge of scheduling and contacting the MLS clubs, there would be huge fan support for us to get a couple nice preseason friendlies with MLS clubs because they're going to be in Arizona anyways, so why not? It just seems like a very straightforward... And I know this year we didn't have a good stadium situation. It was all very last minute until right before the match. But, you know, now that we got it all set up, it seems like a, you know, it's a no-brainer almost. Especially if we get a chance to uh, host a big team like LAFC, see see uh, Vela come to town, see Bob Bradley <laughs> bring his squad to town, or uh, you know I know we've had some good relationships with um, Sporting Kansas City. They allowed our owners to come. You know, unfortunately, Don Dwyer would not be part of that squad, but they have some good talent. I think if we could get a team or two to our soccer complex, and then maybe Don Garber shows up because of that. Seems like a no-brainer. So I think that was just a fun thing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that would be that'd be pretty awesome, and it'd be uh, be a good test for MLS to see you know some turnout here in Phoenix with some MLS action. Um, so with that being said, we're going to get into our final thoughts of the week. Jeff, why don't you go ahead and start us off? All right, I'll go ahead and get us started off. Um, obviously, it was a it was a very tough week to see you know some players that that. You, you grow to, to like and love uh, leave the club this week. And, and 
I have nothing but great things to say about both uh, Brock Ranger and, and Uchenna Uzo. I mean, they were they were great guys to interview. They they were always personable, always willing to talk to you. you know, I ran into to Uchenna out at the the uh, waste management open back in February when they were doing some promotional stuff out there, and it was great to see him. And you know, he was willing to talk talk about his injury, talk about his recovery, and everything. You know. I get that it's a business and I understand that it's a business and everything, but you hate to see great people who have done a lot for the organization, not just on the field, but off the field as well. You know, you, you hate to see those people leave and, and, you know, like, like we've, like we said, you know, a few minutes earlier, you know, we wish nothing but the best of luck for Brock and, and Uchenna and Mike Seth as they move down the road, obviously Mike signed with, San Antonio earlier this week. So, but, you know, I, I hated to see them leave, you know, yeah, granted, I got, I get a little personal at times about things like that. And I did on Twitter and, and, you know, I, I appreciate the banner back and forth between not, you know, the fans and, and, and talking about things like this, you know, obviously I've had a passion for this game, you know, for the last, you know, six years covering this club. So it's it's been nothing but, you know, a pleasure to, to see guys like them roll through and, and do the things that they do. And I think that'll uh, go into my final point. Um, thank you for yours. Uh, I can't emphasize enough how important the next two matches are. And I know we talk a lot about, oh, this game is a must-win or this one's a must-win, whatever. Not every match is actually a must-win. I do realize that. But our next two matches at home, well, first away to Orange County, and then at home against Sac Republic, are going to be crucial matches for determining seeding. Because we still have a good chance, or at least a fair chance, of catching Sacramento. We're on the same amount of matches played, and they're only five points ahead of us. So it's still there for the taking, but first we got to deal with Orange County. They are finally now on the same number of matches played with us. And they're only one point ahead. So if we can get some positive results. I mean, I think we went into these Los Dos and RGV games expecting four points from those two matches. We got four points from those two matches. So mission accomplished. But if we can get another three or four points from these next two, that would be huge, huge stuff going into... A very winnable stretch of games. I think Seattle at home and then Cascadia trips shortly afterwards as we turn the calendar into September. Um, soccer is also a game like life. You know, there are some amazing days, magical moments, kind of like Drogba last week. There are just some games that are just totally sad, totally depressing. I feel like yesterday's game was the equivalent of a Friday afternoon at the end of a long week. Kind of tough. You're slogging through, though. You're getting excited. Boy, we're almost out of here, and at 4.57, your boss is like, um, hey, about that, there's this project I need you to work on. Uh, that classic scene from Office Space, that's kind of what it felt like. We were so close, and uh, didn't quite work out, but um, we're still in good shape, but these next two weeks are going to be crucial, and I know that the attendance has gone down slightly the last couple home matches because there were thunderstorms right before the match was about to start 
I don't care if there's thunder falling a mile from the stadium. You need to be there for that Sacramento Republic game because it's our first home game in a month, and that game is going to be critical for playoff seating. That's a good point. And actually, um, you know, I was at the last two home matches when we had the storms, and it was actually more bearable to be in the stands. It was actually pretty nice weather. It cooled it down a little bit, uh, so we weren't sitting out in 105-degree weather, you know. So, so definitely get out there for the next match against uh, Sacramento. Um, you know, so my final thoughts here are, you know, we talked about the the additions to the team and losing the three guys that we dropped. Um, you know, obviously, like we said, we wish them the best of luck in their future endeavors. However, it is good that we are strengthening our team, um, especially as we head into the part of the season where it's supposed to get easier for us. So that was a good move, I feel, you know, strengthen our team, try to help secure these critical points to get us into this playoff position. Um we talked about the the officiating the past few weeks. Um, it's not new news to anybody. Uh, the quality that we've been getting from pro referees. Um, I hope that USL and you know Phoenix Rising owners can kind of you know make open up some dialogue with pro referees and figure out how to improve the situation. I mean we've we've been on both ends of bad calls, uh, mostly on the end that you don't want to be on. Um, so. I'd like to see that they take these, you know, examples like last night, use these as uh, training experiences and try to improve the quality of officiating because that kind of is detrimental to USL. And a lot of people, I've seen Twitter posts uh, for fans of not even in the Western Conference, the stuff on Reddit, all that, about how the officiating is a joke. So, you know, hopefully we can take these as a learning experience for pro referees and they can kind of make some improvements, do some training. In other news, I just kind of want to talk real quick about the 2026 FIFA World Cup bid. Uh, there was a little bit of news. Um, as you guys know, USA, Canada, and Mexico put in a joint bid together. Uh, Morocco has also submitted a bid on Friday. So uh, we are now going to be in competition with Morocco to host the 2026 World Cup. Um, I you know, I don't know what your guys' thoughts are, but I, I feel like USA, Canada, Mexico is a pretty strong bid. Some people disagree with splitting it up, but I feel like that might have been a move to kind of secure the deal. Um, so uh, with that being said, I think that's going to do it for us today. Thanks again for listening to our podcast. And please remember to go ahead and visit us on iTunes and rate us if you enjoy our podcast. Um, you can also contact us on Twitter at RisingPod. If you have any questions, you know, send us a, a tweet, DM, whatever it is. If you have any questions, we can uh, discuss it on one of the future episodes. So thanks again for listening. Have a good week, everybody, and go Rising. Go Rising. Great week, everybody. Oh.